And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. Snap good, hold good, and Raiders in, Chargers out, Steelers in. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network post-game edition. This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, Ted Wynn. The Raiders are going to the playoffs. 35-32 victory over the Chargers in overtime. The wild situation actually happened where there was a potential for a tie to get both teams in. The Raiders don't want no part of a tie. They don't want to send the Chargers to the playoffs. They don't want to send themselves to Kansas City, a team that's outscored them 89-23 to on the season. They wanted to take care of business, and they did. Daniel Carlson's 47-yard field goal wins it as time expires in overtime. For the first time since 2016, for the first time with Derek Carr available to play, they are heading to the playoffs. I mean, just a wild end to this season. I mean, week 18 in the NFL was probably one of the craziest days we've ever seen in the NFL, just with the amount of games that mattered that went to overtime. You looked at, I mean, the the Raiders had a chance to, to clinch that playoff spot in the morning if the Steelers had lost an OT. Just a wild day, and for the Raiders, uh, a rewarding finish as they went four in a row to get to the playoffs. Yeah, I think, you know, I believe it was Jim Trotter to ask Bisaccia, you know, it, we all kind of thought after that, that loss to the Chiefs on the road, just the way that they looked, that they were probably, you know, done for. I mean, they'd have to win four straight um, against some some teams in the playoff contention. And although they had been a, you know, a feisty team throughout the year and competitive in most of their games, I think we, we maybe got too tied up in the Chiefs' losses. Because, like, those were really the only two games this season where they just got flat out, you know, embarrassed. Like, the team, you know, they were saying all the right things, but we all kind of like, you know, eh, I mean, you know, they, they say this every year. It's different. You know, they're, they're going to finish stronger. They're closer now. There's nobody skipping practices and whatever was going on in the past. But I don't think any of us really saw this this coming, especially the nature in which, I mean, they basically had four straight games come down to the wire and pulled them all out. And for a team that they're, you know, kind of Achilles Hill has been finishing season, finding ways to blow those close games. I mean, we saw it even last year, um, the year before. For them to make the playoffs in this fashion, it wasn't like they beat up on some some weak opponents or blew teams out or kind of got the luck of the draw. I mean, they beat four pretty good teams and did it in walk-off fashion in three of the games. And, you know, they earned this one. And, uh, you know, they had a playoff berth, obviously, and, and and it's about, you know, what happens next. You know, they're, they're, you know, they have a game to go win now, but it's kind of, I feel like, considering everything that's happened this season and, and where the team was just, you know, a month ago, 
you know, it was worth them sitting back and celebrating it last night. I think it shows their confidence. Their confidence really, I think, built up over these close wins. I think Hunter Renfro said that once you win these close games, you kind of know you can do it and you kind of expect to do it. So I think um, it's been ugly at times. I think last night they blew a 15-point lead uh, in typical, you know, uh, historically Raider fashion. But um, this team is, is a very tight-knit team. I definitely believe in each other. definitely believe in uh, both you know, the offensive players and also the defensive players. So that D-line definitely has a – a real big identity in the locker room is kind of a tough bunch of kind of people rally around. So just um, it was it was a great win. The crowd was incredible. That was definitely the best crowd uh, I've seen in Vegas uh, in terms of the energy and just the uh, the ratio was good. I'm mostly Raider fans, but really loud. I think the players fed off that. And uh, it was just a great night. It was just an exciting night. And um, yeah, I, mean, I never would have thought they'd win. They would have won four games in a row to get here, but. Uh, now that they're here, you know, it's kind of like they say, it's a whole new season. They got a good matchup. There's a lot of the teams you in the AFC. That's probably the one you want to play, I would think. Um, so it's a good matchup. And again, the confidence is, is through the roof. So congrats to Raider fans and, and, and to all the players. I think this type of win kind of shows how this Raider team has really gelled late in the season. It's a stark difference with how the Chargers are playing and how the Raiders are playing like the Chargers are totally dependent on Justin Herbert. Like if Justin Herbert wasn't on that team, they'd probably be picking him at top 10. If you look at how bad their offensive line is, how inconsistent their weapons have been with dropping passes and how bad their defense is. I mean, Justin Herbert was just amazing last night. You know, especially when you hit that five minute mark when he had faced that third and 21, he threw what should have been a touchdown pass to Mike Williams. Then he converts to fourth and 21, and then he just goes, you know, crazy from there. It's one of the most amazing stretches of quarterback play I've ever seen, honestly, converting all those third down and fourth down. And that touchdown pass on that swirl route was just, just like at a crazy tight window. But I mean, that's the difference. I think the Raiders just played really well as a team overall. They used everybody in their roster, and you know, including Marcus Mariota and that Mariota pack, which was big too. Defense came up with stops when they ne- uh, needed to at times, and you know they were able to pressure Herbert and Carr was able to use a lot of his weapon. To, you know, I was surprised to see Brian Edwards leading the league, uh, leading the uh, the team in uh, receiving yards at the end of the game, and Daniel Carlson was huge again. So it was just a really great overall team effort by the Raiders to win this game. At the end of the game, uh, like. It was kind of looking like one of those typical like Raider finishes where they just find a way to to blow it. I mean, obviously Justin Herbert was making some great plays on those third and fourth down throws. It was also just like, what are y'all doing in coverage? Sometimes it, it kind of starts to look like the defense last year. You know, kind of down the stretch when they blew some of those games, like the Dolphins games, and and moments like that. It just kind of seemed like, especially you know, once they send it to overtime, it's like, all right, here we go. Like they're gonna you know, find a way to, to blow it. But, you know, even though the Chargers did get a field goal in overtime, uh, you know, they, they did bow up and, and held them and prevented them from getting that, that touchdown that would have won the game. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, the defense started off well, then they had their rough finish, but then they, they recovered um, at the end. And I don't think we saw that resiliency really from that unit or really, I guess you could say the team as a whole last year, but particularly the defense, I think for them to, you know, face, you know, Justin Herbert putting on one of the, the better quarter, quarterback displays we've seen this season and be able to recover in the same game and, and help the team get the win. Um, I think that speaks to the, to the overall resiliency of the team. I think also kind of cemented Josh Jacobs as really being like a, a foundation piece. I know we've talked about him in the past. We've kind of debated about the, uh, the fifth-year option and, you know, he's not been durable. But uh, the way he kind of took over in overtime, I think he had 69 yards rushing in overtime and just kind of uh, – 
had that arm bomb he had a few weeks back, where you see like kind of he said he, you know, I'm the closer, give me the ball, and it, that's the way he ran the ball. He made some great runs, and um, I think in that you know on that third and last the last third and four run he gave ten yards and set the field goal. But if he doesn't get that, I mean it's probably it is probably a tie, which is hilarious because you know I was so against all the tie talk, and then when they go up fifteen, I think Adam Schefter tweeted out, well, there goes all the tie scenarios. When they went up 12, that's when everyone thought that the tie wouldn't factor in. Well, Schefter had pretty much said that the Steelers are in the playoffs now because there won't be a tie. And so I thought, when I, when I saw that, I was like, ooh, that's a pretty bad freaking jinx. But uh, yeah, it was a crazy, it was a crazy night. And just so much happened. I mean, we, we, people forget about the, uh, you know, Steelers fourth down call from his own end, which is a ridiculous call. You know, Raider fans can never complain about uh, the officials for a while because that, uh, the pass and the first call they got on Zay Jones in the first half is one of the worst calls you'll ever see. It would have been a legal contact at least, though. If it wasn't pass interference, it was a legal contact. And then the official who was there, he was watching, he never even sees where the ball is. He's totally watching the, the two guys and doesn't even notice the ball is like, you know, sailing out of the stadium. But uh, anyway, they got some they got some breaks. I just think it's, um, yeah, it's just crazy. I mean, we want to talk about uh, Derek Carr. Derek Carr didn't really play that well. He didn't, hasn't played that well the past month, but they, uh, He's done enough things at the right moments uh, where he's kind of got them these wins as long with uh, with Josh Jacobs and the old line played well last night. They were a big weakness at, at one point this season. So uh, just a lot of resiliency around, around the whole the whole team and uh, surprising and also very, very impressive. On the penalty notes, like even though Derek Carr didn't play that well, it kind of reminded me, I think that was the Browns game where they kept drawing like the deep shot pass interference calls. Like that was kind of like their best offensive play until Josh Jacobs got going because they, they weren't efficient throwing the ball. Uh, he wasn't completing passes very often or gaining yards. They really weren't running the ball well early on. And so when they came to, you know, outside of, you know, the, the couple turnovers that they forced or the Chargers, which were big, you know, when it came to moving the ball, it, it was really kind of the, all those defensive hold. I think the, the Chargers had five defensive holding penalties and the two pass interferences. And really that was, you know, what, what kept the offense going and, and kind of helped them put together the, the 29 points to jump out to that lead before uh, – you know, the Chargers send it in overtime. It's so weird because you know, Carr used to be Mr. Like, you know, ball security, you know, game manager guy. I wouldn't take chance. Check, I really complain about his check down tendencies. But now, last night there were two or three throws off his back foot. Didn't care. Just like let it fly. It's just like, who is this guy? But uh, it's working. And he definitely. Uh, hey, good things happen when you throw deep, man. I, apparently he's learning a lesson. But it's just wild to see him last night, the couple of throws he made versus what he would do like, you know, two, three years ago. But um Again, it's all about confidence, and obviously um, they have a lot right now as a team. Yeah, I mean, you would think if you look just like the box score, they had 35 points. They, they must have broke out offensively. They got Darren Waller back. Nine targets, and he has two catches for 22 yards on nine targets. That would normally spell like, they, yeah, they probably didn't do very well. Uh, Hunter Renfro targeted five times. He had four catches for 13 yards, uh, which I, I'm sure he's very happy with. Obviously, they got the win, but I know for him that 4-13, that's a big number for him because that's it's, a combi- it's always been the combination of his quarterback and himself. It was Deshaun Watson, Clemson, now Derek Carr. I think he even got married on 4-13 or something something um he gets the two touchdowns but i mean yeah you mentioned josh jacobs 132 yards a career high goes off in, in overtime we'll get into the discussion later about what this does you know the, the big game against the broncos doing this here uh you know good start last week against indy and what that means for his future but it's just all about the present right now and 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 the raiders they go into that overtime and we all kind of knew what the situation was and, and i mean everybody that talked about like the whole scenario of you know, oh, just agree before the game. Everyone take knees and, and we'll finish zero. That was never going to happen. If, technically, I mean, there's a rule that, I mean, 
Roger Goodell could come down and from you know New York and just say, nah, that that's not allowed. It's commissioner's authority. He's got a rule that he could have uh, you know, basically probably ruled them both as losers. But if the game got to overtime, I think there were some realistic scenarios where the teams could, okay, like, we're not going to push to win. We don't, you know, we, we can accept a tie. And Rich Passaccia admitted that yeah, it was kind of in their minds when um, when the Chargers didn't take timeouts uh, after their, uh, you know, on that on their second overtime drive. But a, a lot's been made of the Brandon Staley timeout that he did take, which I don't think it really changed much. He took the timeout with five seconds left on the play clock and I think, what, 38 seconds on the clock. No matter what, the Raiders are running that next play on third and four. He wanted to have his best run defense in there. They took off Kenneth Murray. They got in Justin Jones, who's their best run stuffer. They're one of the worst run stuffing teams in the league, and they couldn't stop the run. Uh, it's really as simple as that. It wasn't, you know, everyone wants to make it seem like that timeout is the reason the Raiders went for a field goal to win. I mean, they were in position for a 55-yard field goal already. I mean, maybe they think twice about that, worry about a block slash return. But they probably still attempt that anyway. Here they they got 10 yards and and they made it. Uh, they were in position for a 57 yard field goal. So maybe maybe they think twice about that. But still, they uh, they got 10 yards, make it a 47 yarder, and that timeout didn't really change anything. Yeah, I think where it's coming from is is Carr not in the post game press conference, but coming off the field, he he said that they changed their their thinking or whatever. Um, so that's probably what people took took and ran with. But like, I mean, it it was very apparent that like after you know they they did get the first down and get around midfield, they were they were playing for the tie. Like, I mean, you could just tell from like the body language of like running the ball. They weren't even like really running. They were running it, but it was like they were just running straight into the line of scrimmage, um, straight into the offensive lineman basically, and like. Nobody was in a rush. Nobody was taking timeouts. Everybody was lethargic, standing around, running it down to the end. Like there really was no other reason for them to do that. Because even if they say make the field goal earlier, it's not like the Chargers would have got another try. That the game would have been over. And so the only explanation for them, you know, behaving the way they were is like, okay, we're going to the playoffs either way. Like if we win it, cool. But like if we don't, also cool. Which is like, I think it's probably the smart thing to do. Like there's no need to. You know, start taking shots at the end zone and risk an interception or risk a sack fumble or, you know, whatever else may happen. But I mean, once Jacobs, you know, broke that run, of course, they're just going to go, you know, win the game. But I think that was, you know, I guess technically it's conservative to just run it three times in that situation. But that, that was a smart thing to do. You know, just kind of, you know, give your chance, yourself a chance to get into, into better field goal position, but not have so much of a risk as, as passing the ball would still have. And so just ended up breaking their way. But I mean, at that point for Raiders fans, I mean, there really was no no lose. It was like you get in the playoffs or you get in the playoffs. It's just a matter of who you were playing. I don't think they were going for the tie. I think they were just like being safe with trying to get this field goal attempt. Yeah, they're just being safe. And if it, they miss a field yeah. goal, they don't want any time left on the clock. They want exactly. To- I don't know, because it, it was a really, I mean, Dan Carlson has a leg, but I mean, they were like 60 yards out initially when they were kind of doing the lethargic thing. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. We'll never know, but it just seemed kind of kind of funky. Well, there's some, uh, I think Adam Hill works for the View Journal, said he uh, was watching. I guess he's a lip reader. He said that after the game, you can see Trent Sieg and Eckler talking. Eckler asked him if uh, they don't make that third and four, 
do they let the clock run down or let the clock run out? And the Seeks apparently said yes. So I think that third and four was definitely, and I see why still he did it because, I mean, if you told me a month ago that it was third and four and the team put their, you know, they, they, they stacked the box against the Raiders you know, and the Raiders would get, you know, 10 yards on third and four, I wouldn't have believed you. So I was the, the offensive line's come a long way and Jacobs has been running really well. So to me, that third and four uh, kind of that definitely was the, the key play. I, I get why you would try to stop the run there, but, Playing for the tie would have got the Raiders a, a date in KC, which I don't think anybody wanted. So I think um, I think the field goal attempt probably was always in their back pocket. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The other big thing was, the, I mean, the second and 11 play, right? I mean, because he loses a yard on first down. If he gets stuffed for nothing on second down, then I think at that point you probably you just, okay, you take the tie. But he gains seven yards on second down. So, you know, if you want to make it out to be like this third down play that all of a sudden they went for it, tried to get the first. I mean, that, that seven-yard run on second down was just as big because that set up a third and manageable for them. Then, you know, you know it went from um, a six, you know, a 60 four yard field goal to a 57 yarder. And then you're like, okay, let's see if we can get a couple yards closer. Would they have attempted a 57 yard field goal? We don't know. Um, maybe, maybe not. The long ones you do risk, you have to do the low trajectory. They could get blocked, but we'll never know. Obviously whatever happened, the more important thing was Jacobs, you know, performing the way he did late in that game, you know, especially with Derek Carr not having the best game. I mean, he, on the first field goal that they had, I mean, he missed Darren Waller for the game, game winning touchdown. He was wide open and, Really, it was just Jacobs kind of kind of took over down a stretch for him, and I think I saw a stat. It was a next gen stat said he like 130 of his his yards came after contact or something insane like that. So while the the offensive line did do a little bit better, it was still a situation where Josh Jacobs was making him right a little bit, you know, in, in the run game, and particularly since he was coming off an injury last week, and you know he hasn't had much success on the ground this year on a, on a per carry basis, just from an efficiency standpoint, for him to kind of come up big for them in that moment. They're probably going to make the playoffs anyway in that scenario, but to, to avoid that Chiefs matchup and, and get a game against the Bengals we'll get into later this week that, that you know, is probably their first winnable playoff game since 2002, considering the 2016 game. They were, they were pretty much cooked without Derek Carr. You know, as, as, as huge Ooh, cooked. They had Connor Cook starting. That was, that's a nice uh, – there uh. you go. 
I think we got to give some credit to uh, Greg Olson, offensive coordinator, too. I don't agree with everything Greg Olson does, and there's definitely some, you know, some, some things that raises some questions as them as a play caller. But I think, you know, as a play designer and the way he's able to create plays to complement other plays and using the Mariota Mariota package like he does, I, I you know, I think that he, he deserves some credit too. I mean, you know, things like like last week when they put Zay Jones in motion and he gets a third and he bounces back and he gets a third and one. And then after that, on the fourth and one, they use that same motion and they get the touchdown to Hunter Renfro against the Colts. They use that same formation and motion again on that fourth and three to Zay Jones. And this time they had him run a drag. So just like all compliments with each other. And I just like the way that they're really using the Mariota package now. And it's something that we've been you know, talking about in this podcast forever since like last year. So, you know, I, th- I think he does some good things. And um, the way that he's able to get the run game going, he, he deserves some credit. This offense, um, Derek Hart wasn't playing well, but there, there were wide open guys throughout this game. I may ask Pisaccio today, I'm curious, why do you think it is they always leave Derek on the field when Mariota comes out? It seems to me kind of dumb. Why don't they get another player out there that actually can make a play at, at receiver if, if you want? I don't think that's too uncommon with like the wildcat type packages, but like I, I, I always wondered if there was some kind of rule or something where they had to have the other quarterback because it never really, it never really made sense to me. He wants that hundred percent snap count, man. <laughs> I mean, don't 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 rule that out. Yeah, because typically they would do it because if you're sending in a wildcat running back as your quarterback, that you know, like the Saints do it with Taysom Hill because Taysom Hill is a tight end too. So when he's in a huddle, there's a threat that Drew Brees will just be the quarterback and he'll be tight end. But when Mariota's in, everybody knows, you know, he's going to be the quarterback. So there's no point in Derek Carr being on the field, you know. So, you know, I I think they should take Carr off and then you you could have Mariota pass the ball like once in a while and it could open things up. So I agree. Yeah, I don't think Carr needs to be on the field for the Mariota packages. So actually, like double checking the Snapchat because I thought I thought I remember seeing he did actually come off the field for five of those plays yesterday. So he only played, yeah, he only played ninety four percent of the snap count, seventy five of the eighty snaps. So, but Mar- he was on the field with Mariota yeah. a few times. Yeah, though. Mariota was on the field for seven snaps. Uh, Carr missed five snaps. So looks like he was on the snap on the field for two snaps with Carr, but five he did come off. So I mean, let's talk about the defense. We've praised that pass rush. All season long, and I mean, we know. I mean, Justin Herbert was was out of the out of this world on on fourth down and and all that. But I mean, the reason he was out of this world on third and fourth down was because I mean, the, the Raiders were giving him hell all day. I mean, he had what thirty incompletions. I mean, they were pressuring him. Uh, Max Crosby gets home with two sacks, which is nice because it, you know it boosts that end of the season sack total to eight. But everyone always says it that you know sack totals are not indicative of of the impact a player has, and this season has proved that more than ever. I mean, we all know what what Max Crosby's done. He was you know rightfully rewarded with a spot in the Pro Bowl. Um, and I mean, it, he had a favorable matchup going up against Storm Norton, the Chargers' right tackle, and, and he took advantage. And you know Herbert was constantly under pressure. Yeah, he made some plays, but he made some plays because the Raiders' pass rush was harassing him. Crosby finished with 101 pressures, so he led the league in pressures, which is kind of interesting because in the beginning of his career, he had a very low pressure rate, but he had a double-digit sacks. And then now he switched around where he has a ton of pressures, but not quite the sack numbers to match it. But it, you know, like Jimmy said, it kind of shows that pressures are, I think, the more important stat. Yeah, I was going to say for the defensive line, not just the pass rush, but I think early on in the game, Austin Eckler was giving them hell. And part of it was because the Chargers fell behind. They stopped running the ball as much. But um, I think the Raiders 
did play better against the run. I mean, on that fourth and two that the Chargers went for from their own 18, they basically tried to run it up the middle. And uh, I think it was Darius Fineline that, that made the stop there, him and, and Roger Teamer, I believe. And for Fylon, he uh, we're gonna ask, but he he got carted off during the game, so I would imagine he's probably done. So that's a sizable loss. But the overall defensive line, uh, you know, with Fylon being out and, and Carl Nassib not playing in this game, I think they just you know they're flat. They flashed their depth. You know, whether it was Clee Farrell coming in or uh, Malcolm Kuntz getting some snaps. You know, the, the rotation they have on the interior. You know, both against the run and and getting a pass rush. I think this was. You know, one of the more complete games um, that we saw from the defensive line, whether the cup, you know, they had some coverage breakdowns. Obviously, that's how you get all those third and fourth and tens uh, converted. But really, you know, what I mean, going into the fourth quarter, the defense had played so well. And it, and it was largely because of the effort that the defensive line was doing. So uh, big kudos to him. And, and obviously, Rob Marinelli, I know he, you know, after last year and, and kind of the defensive line falling flat, he had a lot of a lot of critics. But I think he showed, you know, why they kept him around this year. Well, they made some great pickups. We talked about it at the beginning of the season about the guys they picked up, especially on that front line. And last night, Phylon played really, really well. Quentin Jefferson, I thought, was in the backfield almost as much as Crosby was. Every time I looked up, Quentin was back there and someone in Herbert's face. And I thought, uh, you know, we mentioned Farrell. Farrell had a half a sack. It was a big, big time for that moment. And I just think um, you mentioned the depth and just uh, they have this. Um, also, they're, you can tell they're very close to that bunch because they kind of play for each other. Definitely kind of a selfless bunch and just. Um, I really I look at the season, and it's definitely one of the key things to me is why they're here in the playoffs is because of that D-line and the guys that picked up really played well. Fylon will be a big loss if that injury ends up keeping him out of the playoffs because ever since he came back from his injury, uh, he's, he's been lights out, especially against the Broncos and in run defense. There will be some plays where he gets pushed around, but overall he's been way more disruptive when he's able to get in the, the knife in the backfield and get those TFLs. But he got two stops in a row on that third down and fourth down series, too. So he losing him will be big. But yeah, defensive line was um, was just pr- the pressure they were able to put on Herbert was pretty amazing to see all all game. Yeah, I think the cart had barely left the field and they uh, had already ruled him out with a knee injury. So uh, we typically know what that means. That uh, I would I would imagine there'd be fear of an ACL there. And uh, I think he had a tweet saying he'll bounce back strong. So that also implies he's not he's not back soon. I mean. Uh... More of the defense. I was going to say, just looking at the uh, all the former Chargers. We wrote about them early on, about you know these guys that Gus brought over. But I mean, we talk about you know Phylon and you know, Perriman, and but uh, the guys in the secondary I thought played really well. I mean, Hayward had the interception. I thought Fasan and the team were also made some really big plays, some big hits, some big uh, pass breakups. But you know, I think the points total is misleading because they got so many points late and there's so many fourth down conversions. But overall, uh, the secondary actually played better than the. Charger secondary, which I thought was going to be a, a key strength for them. So uh, I was really impressed by by Teamer and, and Faison last night. Hayward had, you know, all these near interceptions. He finally got his, his interception in the last game. <laughs> all right, let's talk a little bit about Passaccia. He held this team together. They are in the playoffs. Whether that means he, he's going to get, you know, he will get the full-time job or whether he'll get a, you know, a good shake at it, that'll be determined. I mean, I think right now, you know, focus on the playoffs and, uh, you know, that's where he'll be. That's where they'll be. That's where Mark Davis will be. I mean, Mark's going to be excited to actually go into a playoff game with his starting quarterback. Wanted to ask a question that uh, you know, one of our Twitter followers, uh, Eric Galvin, has, has sent me this question a few times uh, wanting us to address it. And, and now's a good time to do it. Does Rich Passaccia deserve consideration for NFL Coach of the Year? Nah. I think it's Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel uh, with the Titans, like, with all the injuries they had to be the number one seed, and he coached the entire year as a piece of that. Uh, 
Yeah, I think it's, it's Mike Vrabel. But no. Still a great job, though. I don't know how the voting goes. I don't know if it's a ranked choice. I mean, if you get to vote like one through three, he probably deserves some third place votes. We all know it's like the voting for this stuff is so kind of based on the season long narrative that, you know, where they were four weeks ago, you know, they were, we were firing him and all that, that it's hard to, to kind of catch up late. I mean, you got the Eagles coach had a great year. That guy, no one, the rookie coach, no one kind of gave him a chance and they definitely overcame some stuff and changed their whole philosophy. I think, uh, Lafleur in Green Bay. I mean, I was I was a mess with part of the, with, with Rogers way he came in, all the controversy, and then they've been incredible all year. So I think Richard did a really good job. But I think um, maybe part of the reason why he wouldn't be in the top three or four is because of the unique dynamic they have here. Like he makes no pretense about it. He definitely defers in some aspects to Gus Bradley and to Greg Olson as far as the play calling and the strategy. And he's kind of like the the overseer. And I think it works really well because. Obviously, there's no ego there. He doesn't really care that those guys get a lot of credit. And those guys don't care that he's the coach and they're just the coordinators and they're kind of taking on a, a larger role. So, like those three guys, their chemistry, their history together, the respect they have for each other definitely makes that work. It's a very unique situation, but I think that uh, that's why the success they've had this year and the way they've come back from the, the John Gruden thing, I think it's because those three guys, how they work together, they're more so than just, than just rich. Maybe he deserves some consideration just because of the um, the things that the Raiders gone through. I, he should, I don't think he should win it. I think there's much more deserving candidates. But you know, like Jimmy said, maybe a, a couple third place votes. He does deserve some some recognition for you know, steering the Raiders into uh, the, the playoffs after all the crazy things that's happened. I think they, they said on the broadcast that the Raiders are the first team in 60 years to make a midseason coaching change and make the playoffs. Yeah, I think he's like, I saw something where someone said he's the first interim coach to make the playoffs. It's true, but there's an asterisk because Bruce Arians did it with the Colts, but Pagano was sick. Kind of got the credit for those wins record-wise, so that's a, it's an asterisk. That, but normally, he really is kind of, in, in a sense, the, the first interim guy to make this kind of leap. So he gets a lot of credit. The players obviously love him. They play hard for him. And that's why when you win six games in the last play of the game, there's definitely a spirit there. I think that comes from him a lot. Definitely, there's a lot of confidence that he has in the players and kind of a, and don't get too high or too low, just kind of, you know, ride with the flow and, and, and keep pushing. So definitely, I mean, I think he's shown why he wants to be the coach next year. The players, I think, have his back. So, I mean, I know I saw some social media videos last night of Mark Davis in the locker room. Everyone's celebrating and dancing and he's having a good time. So I know Mark knows how much the players like Rich. So that'll be a big factor as far as what he does going forward. Yeah, and I think the matchup they drew kind of will shape the conversation this week, too, because I think if they would have, let's say they did tie and they were going to Arrowhead to play the Chiefs, I mean, probably know what's happening there. So we, we more so put the focus on, you know, what what maybe what the coaching situation is going to be. But, like, they can beat the Bengals. Like, I know they lost by, you know, what, 20 points the first time around they played. But that was a close game early on in the fourth quarter, one-score game, three-points game, I, I believe. So there's a legitimate chance they could advance in the playoffs right now. So it's kind of hard to – I don't even think as a fan you should be really concerned about, you know, is Versace getting a job or not because the team can actually, you know, put something together in the, in the playoffs now because of they, this matchup that they drew. I mean, in hell, just psychologically, I mean, if you, you've gotten creamed by the, the Chiefs twice already, I mean, if you if you go to Cincinnati and Joe Burrow plays lights out like he's been playing and he beats you, you know, hey, you still say, hey, man, it, it was it was a hell of a season for us getting to the playoffs. If you go to KC and get creamed for a third time against the Chiefs, 
just psychologically in terms of the Chiefs are the team that they are measured against as a division opponent, that would be tough to take. So, I mean, I think the fact that they're facing the Bengals, they got the five seed, um, a 10-win season. I mean, you got to give kudos all around. I mean, it's it's impressive that they have made it this far. I mean, we wrote them out several times, um, and yet here they are. They're, uh, they're in the playoffs. And, I mean, happy for Raider fans. You know, I mean, the environment there – you know, at Allegiant Stadium on Sunday night. I mean, this is this is what the Raiders dreamed of when they moved to Vegas, got their shiny stadium to be able to have it full of Raider fans and, uh, you know, going loud, going crazy and being able to celebrate a huge win that sends them to the playoffs. Um, for the first season with fans to be able to, to mark that with a playoff berth, uh, that's pretty impressive. All right, guys, and that'll wrap up this post-game edition of State of the Nation. We will be back, of course, later in the week to get you ready for the Raiders taking on the Bengals in the playoffs. We've got an 18th game. Podcast isn't going anywhere. We've got another week here, and we'll see if the Raiders can keep this run going and uh, see if they can go to Cincy and beat the Bengals. Apparently, I promised to sing, but it is Oh! We we yeah. forgot about it, but Vic did, did remind us. People that, on social media didn't forget about it, but... Uh, I am going to say uh, I, I did. I, I got some suggestions here. Do you, do you want me to read the list of, of suggested songs that? Uh, yeah, please. Okay, please so let's sure. see. We've got um, somebody would like Danny Boy. Danny Boy. Raider Colors by right. Too Short and, and Ice Cube. Yeah, um, that's, that's I believe awesome. I. I believe I can fly. Oh, uh, no. Blow the whistle. No, <laughs> they can't do. I can believe I can fly. <laughs> I should probably could do that one. But why? Why Danny Boy? It's his calling to keep hitting it between the pipes. Is what uh, is what this. Guy says, uh, "This is not a bad one. Staying alive, <laughs> staying alive." There's high, high notes in that one. I, I got a lot of uh, beatbox. Wilson beatbox. Phillips, hold on. Ooh, Wilson Phillips, hold on. Johnny would like ain't no mountain high enough. All right, well, definitely, I'll work on something for the next show. I'm not doing. I have any coffee yet? Early. I, I don't know why I made these stupid promises, but I guess it shows you I had no faith. I definitely didn't think they'd win. So we need the last four weeks. So. I'm definitely going to pay for it myself being a hater. But uh, all right, I'll, I'll take those uh, suggestions under advisement and I'll uh, try and do something not too horrible on, uh, on Thursday. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later this week. Adios. Later. Playoff week. Woo. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 